thought no further than the strange custom of having your children wear masks and go out begging for candy. It was the start of the year in our old Celtic glens, and we'd be waiting in our houses of wattles and clay. The barriers would be down, you see, between the real and the unreal. And the dead might be looking in to sit by our fires of turf. Halloween. The festival of Samhain. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red with the blood of animals and children. Sacrifices are part of our world, our craft. Witchcraft. To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. It's not so different now. It's time again. In the end, we don't decide these things, you know. It's time again. And happy Halloween. Children squeal, trick or treat, as they gleefully run from one house to the next in their favorite ghoulish costumes. Churches hold trunk or treat parties or harvest festivals with vats of enticing candy and plenty of festive disguises. Homeowners decorate their houses with ghosts, tombstones, coffins, skeletons, Frankenstein corpses, vampires, bats, witches, black cats, jack-o'-lanterns, and spider webs. People carve ghostly faces into pumpkins, share spooky stories, gather for parties, indulge in candy, and join in on the Halloween frivolities. These are all things we think of when we contemplate October 31st, in the United States. Now, with those images fresh in our minds, we must inquire what exactly is Halloween? Where did all of the modern customs and traditions associated with it come from? Who has and has not celebrated it throughout its history? Why did each group celebrate it or shun it? And how should we view Halloween as followers of Jesus Christ? These are some of the important questions we must ask and accurately answer if we're to obey God's word, where it is plainly written, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Regarding what Halloween is, History.com explains Halloween is an annual holiday celebrated each year on October the 31st. So by definition, Halloween is considered 
a holiday. And according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, a holiday is simply a holy day. Therefore, we must then ask, who considers Halloween to be a holy day? Well, that question must be answered in two parts, because someone has tried to install a very thin Christian veneer over a much more ancient pagan celebration. And the word pagan, for our purposes, describes a religious tradition, belief, or practice that is related to any form of unbiblical spiritualism, such as syncretism, polytheism, pantheism, or monotheism that is not centered on the one and only Yahweh revealed in Scripture. Or, as a noun, the word pagan describes those who practice any form of unbiblical spiritualism. So the first half of our answer must be found in the etymology of the word Halloween. According to historians, the word Halloween comes from the phrase All Hallows' Eve or All Hallows' Even. And this refers to the evening or evening before All Hallows' Day or All Saints' Day. You see, the word hallow means to honor as holy, and the word saint means a person acknowledged as holy. So the terms All Hallows' Day and All Saints' Day are linguistically connected, and the eve before All Hallows' Day was known as All Hallows' Eve or eventually Halloween. Now, in regards to All Hallows' Eve and All Hallows' Day, History.com explains, On May 13, 609 A.D., Pope Boniface IV dedicated the Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs, and the Catholic feast of All Martyrs' Day was established in the Western Church. Pope Gregory III later expanded the festival to include all saints as well as all martyrs, and moved the observance from May 13th to November 1st. By the 9th century, the influence of Christianity had spread into Celtic lands, where it gradually blended with and supplanted the older Celtic rites. In 1000 AD, the church would make November 2nd All Souls Day, a day to honor the dead. It's widely believed today that the church was attempting to replace the Celtic Festival of the Dead with a related church-sanctioned holiday. And this is confirmed by the Encyclopedia Britannica, which states a feast of all martyrs was kept on May 13th in the Eastern Church, according to Ephraim Cyrus, which may have determined the choice of May 13th by Pope Boniface IV when he dedicated the Pantheon in Rome as a church in honor of the Blessed Virgin and all martyrs in 609. The first evidence for the November 1st date of celebration and of the broadening of the festival to include all saints as well as all martyrs occurred during the reign of Pope Gregory III, who dedicated a chapel in St. Peter's, Rome, on November 1st in honor of all saints. 
in 800. All Saints Day was kept by Alcyon on November 1st, and it also appeared on a 9th century English calendar on that day. In 837, Pope Gregory IV ordered its general observance. In medieval England, the festival was known as All Hallows, and its eve is still known as Halloween. The period from October 31st to November 2nd, All Souls Day, is sometimes known as All Hallowtide. In addition to those reliable historical sources, Catholic.org explains about All Saints Day. The Holy Day was eventually established on November 1st by Pope Gregory III in the mid-8th century as a day dedicated to the saints and their relics. So, there are no debates about the historical origins of the word Halloween. The word most certainly comes from Roman Catholic, extra-biblical tradition, papal edicts, and the veneration of saints. Or, in other words, the term Halloween comes from things no God-fearing Protestant would have ever historically observed. However, nothing we've uncovered so far explains why all of the things people currently associate with October the 31st fall under the name Halloween. Why are witches, black cats, jack-o'-lanterns, vampires, reanimated corpses, ghosts, and every other unclean thing that has to do with death, darkness, and the occult so strongly associated with Halloween. What does a Roman Catholic pseudo-holy day dedicated to venerating papally decreed saints have to do with all these symbols of death and darkness? Well, the answer is found in the true ancient origins of Halloween, origins that the Roman Catholic Church attempted to baptize with a pseudo-Christian name, just as they tried to repurpose the Roman pantheon by relabeling the many pagan gods of ancient Rome as saints that people could pray to for various purposes. You see, History.com reports, Halloween's origins date back to the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain. The Celts, who lived 2,000 years ago in the area that's now Ireland, the United Kingdom, and Northern France, celebrated their new year on November 1st. This day marked the end of summer and the harvest and the beginning of the dark, cold winter, a time of year that was often associated with human death. Celts believed that on the night before the new year, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. On the night of October 31st, they celebrated Samhain, and it was believed that the ghosts of the dead returned to Earth. And confirming this well-established history, the Encyclopedia Britannica explains, Halloween had its origins in the festival of Samhain among the Celts of ancient Britain and Ireland. On the day corresponding to November 1st on contemporary calendars, the new year was believed to begin. That date was considered the beginning of the winter period, 
the date on which the herds were returned from pasture and land tenures were renewed. During the Samhain festival, the souls of those who had died before were believed to return to visit their homes, and those who had died during the year were believed to journey to the other world. People set bonfires on hilltops for relighting their hearth fires for the winter and to frighten away evil spirits. And they sometimes wore masks and other disguises to avoid being recognized by the ghosts they thought to be present. It was in those ways that beings such as witches, hobgoblins, fairies, and demons came to be associated with the day. The period was also thought to be favorable for divination on matters such as marriage, health, and death. When the Romans conquered the Celts in the first century CE, they added their own festivals of Feralia, commemorating the passing of the dead, and of Pomona, the goddess of the harvest. In the seventh century CE, Pope Boniface IV established All Saints Day, originally on May 13th, and in the following century, perhaps in an effort to supplant the pagan holiday with a Christian observance, it was moved to November 1st. The evening before All Saints Day became a holy or hallowed eve, and thus Halloween. By the end of the Middle Ages, the secular and the sacred days had merged. The Reformation essentially put an end to the religious holiday among Protestants, although in Britain especially, Halloween continued to be celebrated as a secular holiday. Along with other festivities, the celebration of Halloween was largely forbidden among the early American colonists, although in the 1800s there developed festivals that marked the harvest and incorporated elements of Halloween. When large numbers of immigrants, including the Irish, went to the United States beginning in the mid-19th century, they took their Halloween customs with them. And in the 20th century, Halloween became one of the principal U.S. holidays, particularly among children. Thus, National Geographic confirms Samhain was later transformed as Christian leaders co-opted pagan holidays. In the 7th century, Pope Boniface IV decreed November the 1st All Saints Day or All Hallows Day. The Protestant reformers knew that both the rotten pagan core of Halloween and the thin Roman Catholic veneer Pope Gregory III tried to place on it were out of bounds for the true follower of Jesus Christ. Therefore, they put an end to the abomination known as Halloween, and that righteous decision was carried into the New World by the American colonists who universally prohibited its unholy celebration. But those of Celtic origin, who later immigrated to the United States, brought their ancient religious traditions with them, and the rest, as they say, is history. Therefore, 
Early Protestants, who were at one time much more discerning about Roman Catholic traditions and pagan superstitions, did not celebrate Halloween. And that wise decision even influenced early American history. But eventually, less discerning Americans adopted the ancient Celtic traditions of October the 31st while keeping the Roman Catholic name that had developed like a thin, wispy veil to unsuccessfully shroud an obviously pagan festival. Now, at this point, we can preliminarily answer the question who considers Halloween to be a holy day by saying originally the Celts and later the Catholics. And we can see from history that many followers of Jesus Christ in the past have answered the question, is Halloween compatible with following Jesus? With a resounding no, without controversy. The vast majority of Protestants originally shunned Halloween because of its pagan Celtic roots, while they saw right through the pathetic Catholic attempt to Christianize it. However, we don't follow the traditions of men. We follow the risen Messiah. So history is not to be our deciding factor for why we do or don't celebrate Halloween. Scripture is. Yet even from the tiny amount we've learned so far about the pagan origins of the celebration of Halloween, we can make some initial biblical conclusions. To begin with, Scripture clearly declares, Do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I will also do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. So we're directly told to avoid the customs, traditions, and religious practices of the pagan nations and never incorporate them into the worship of Yahweh. Plus, we're never given one single biblical example of even one single person successfully redeeming or Christianizing anything that was previously dedicated to the worship of any false god. Consequently, we can rightly conclude that Christians who hold to sola scriptura, meaning scripture alone, should say, the Bible plainly teaches, we cannot adopt pagan religious customs and superstitions. And, even more specifically, we can say, the Bible plainly teaches, we cannot add or take away from God's commandments. Only God can make a binding commandment for a true disciple of the Messiah, and only God can abolish a binding commandment. And the last time I checked, there are zero commandments in the Word of God regarding celebrating a festival on October 31st for any reason and several commandments against us adopting any pagan traditions of any type. For example, Scripture also says, 
these are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess. All the days that you live on the earth, you shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. Thus, while Deuteronomy 12, 29 through 32, prohibits the adoption of pagan customs, traditions, or religious practices, Deuteronomy 12, 1 through 4 demands the destruction of every physical item specifically and exclusively dedicated to the worship of false gods. Can you imagine King Josiah finding a jack-o'-lantern after reading these verses? Talk about smashing pumpkins. The truth is, carving faces in pumpkins and other similar foods can be traced far back into history to the same geographic locations the Celts were found. And the Encyclopedia Britannica states, the jack-o'-lantern in American holiday custom is a hollowed out pumpkin lantern that is displayed on Halloween. The surface of the pumpkin is carved to resemble a face. Light from a candle inserted inside can be seen flickering through the jack-o'-lantern's cut out eyes, nose, and usually grotesquely grinning mouth. The custom originated in the British Isles with a large turnip or other vegetable rather than a pumpkin. Merriam-Webster also explains about the jack-o'-lantern. One theory begins by associating the illumination of a hollowed-out pumpkin with a Celtic pagan practice in which turnips or other root vegetables were hollowed out, carved with grotesque faces, and then illuminated by coal, wooden embers, or candles as a way to ward off evil spirits. And it's likely that immigrants brought this custom to America and finding turnips scarce, used native pumpkins instead. However, that only explains the carving and illuminating of pumpkins. It does not shed light on how the term jack-o'-lantern began to be applied to the pumpkin. Now, History.com states, People have been making jack-o'-lanterns at Halloween for centuries. The practice originated from an Irish myth about a man named Stingy Jack. And after describing the Irish fable of Stingy Jack tricking the devil, they went on to write, The devil sent Jack off into the dark night with only a burning coal to light his way. Jack put the coal into a carved-out turnip and has been roaming the earth ever since. The Irish began to refer to this ghostly figure as Jack of the Lantern and then simply Jack-O-Lantern. And then History.com explained, 
In Ireland and Scotland, people began to make their own versions of Jack's Lantern by carving scary faces into turnips or potatoes and then placing them into windows or near doors to frighten away stingy Jack and other wandering evil spirits. In England, large beets are used. Immigrants from these countries brought the jack-o'-lantern tradition with them when they came to the United States. They soon found that pumpkins, a fruit native to America, make perfect jack-o'-lanterns. Thus, while no one can yet definitively trace back beyond a reasonable doubt how this ancient Celtic tradition became known as a jack-o'-lantern, we can plainly see that superstition and unbiblical thinking are the source of the carved pumpkin face, and the follower of Jesus Christ should have nothing to do with them. Additionally, the Bible instructs us to avoid all fables because it is written, reject profane and old wives' fables. And the Greek word here translated as fables is muthos, where we get our modern word myth from. So not only are we told to destroy all objects that have been dedicated to pagan idolatry and superstition while carefully avoiding all pagan religious traditions, we have been instructed to reject fables, fictional stories, or myths like the one behind the jack-o'-lantern. Another common practice that can be traced back to the geographic region of the Celts is the tradition of wearing costumes. About this practice, National Geographic reports Halloween's origins date back more than 2,000 years. On what we consider November 1st, Europe's Celtic people celebrated their New Year's Day called Samhain. On Samhain Eve, what we know as Halloween, spirits were thought to walk the earth as they traveled to the afterlife. Fairies, demons, and other creatures were also said to be abroad. In addition to sacrificing animals to the gods and gathering around bonfires, Celts often wore costumes probably animal skins, to confuse spirits, perhaps to avoid being possessed, according to the American Folklife Center at the U.S. Library of Congress. By wearing masks or blackening their faces, Celts are also thought to have impersonated dead ancestors. And History.com explains, on Halloween, when it was believed that ghosts came back to the earthly world, people thought that they would encounter ghosts if they left their homes. To avoid being recognized by these ghosts, people would wear masks when they left their homes after dark so that the ghosts would mistake them for fellow spirits. Because the origins of Halloween involved darkness, death, and ghosts, Historically, costumes tend to revolve around dark things like death and the occult. However, even if parents and children avoid certain types of costumes, clearly, costume wearing on October the 31st can be traced back to pagan spiritual beliefs, and the follower of Jesus should have nothing to do with it.
Now, about the most common aspect of Halloween we associate with children, the Cambridge Dictionary defines trick or treating as an activity in which children dress up as magical or frightening creatures or as characters from a story on Halloween and visit people's homes to demand sweets. And Merriam-Webster's labels trick-or-treating a Halloween practice in which children wearing costumes go from door to door in a neighborhood saying, trick-or-treat when a door is opened to ask for treats with the implied threat of playing tricks on those who refuse. So, the up-to-date definition of trick-or-treating involves threatening one's neighbors with some devious trick, such as vandalism, if they don't supply a treat. And even in modern times, vandalism is common around the time of Halloween. CNBC reports, on average, Halloween has 17% more home claims for theft, vandalism, and other crimes than any other day of the year, according to a new assessment from travelers. That includes problems like doors kicked in, mailboxes knocked down, and rocks thrown through windows, says Angie Orban, vice president of personal insurance property for travelers. In some cases, damage can run into thousands of dollars. But those seeking candy are not always the ones issuing the tricks because there's also the fairly common problem of pins, drugs, and poison in candy. Such incidents are frequent enough for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to caution, tell children not to accept and especially not to eat anything that isn't commercially wrapped. Inspect commercially wrapped treats for signs of tampering, such as an unusual appearance or discoloration, tiny pinholes, or tears in wrappers. Throw away anything that looks suspicious. Likewise, local police and hospitals sometimes offer free x-ray services to parents to check the children's candy for razor blades, needles, and other malicious hazards. And very recently, Fox News reported two parents were recovering at an Oregon hospital on Thursday after unknowingly eating Halloween candy laced with methamphetamine, authorities said. The unidentified couple fell ill after picking a bag of gummy candy, which resembled Sour Patch Kids, from their children's Halloween stash. The Washington County Sheriff's Office said. The parents said the bag appeared fully sealed, according to police. Deputies responded to the home and conducted field tests on the gummy candy, determining it contained traces of meth, the Oregonian reported. The remaining candy was confiscated as evidence. Also regarding a completely separate story from Ohio, they write, a five-year-old boy in Ohio is expected to make a full recovery after he ate a piece of Halloween candy that was possibly laced with drugs. Braylon Carwell 
who was hospitalized for a suspected seizure and later tested positive for methamphetamines, had gone trick-or-treating on Sunday before he suddenly fell ill. The Galleon Police Department, which is investigating the incident, collected the boy's candy and fake vampire teeth that he had been wearing. The police department issued a warning on Facebook to other residents in the town, reminding parents to check their child's candy and other non-candy items like rings, bracelets, necklaces, or fake teeth. However, as bad as all of these modern facts are about trick-or-treating, the spiritual legacy of this practice is much worse because it's yet another form of spiritual adultery that opens doors to principalities, powers, and dark spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Yes, even trick-or-treating can be traced back to ancient Celtic beliefs and practices. And History.com explains, During some Celtic celebrations of Samhain, villagers disguised themselves in costumes made of animal skins to drive away phantom visitors. Banquet tables were prepared, and edible offerings were left out to placate unwelcome spirits. In later centuries, People began dressing as ghosts, demons, and other malevolent creatures, performing antics in exchange for food and drink. This custom, known as mumming, dates back to the Middle Ages and is thought to be an antecedent of trick-or-treating. They go on to add, By the 9th century, Christianity had spread into Celtic lands, where it gradually blended with and supplanted older pagan rites. In 1000 AD, the church designated November 2nd as All Souls Day, a time for honoring the dead. Celebrations in England resembled Celtic commemorations of Samhain, complete with bonfires and masquerades. Poor people would visit the houses of wealthier families and receive pastries called soul cakes in exchange for a promise to pray for the souls of the homeowner's dead relatives. Known as souling, the practice was later taken up by children who would go from door to door asking for gifts such as food, money, or ale. So if we trace trick-or-treating back to its original source, it was associated with the pagan Celtic festival of Samhain. If we trace it along to its next transformation in history, it connects to soul cakes and the Roman Catholic practice of souling and praying for the dead in a non-existent place they call purgatory. And if we trace trick-or-treating into the modern age, it still has these Celtic and Catholic roots, but it also involves threatening vandalism, contaminated candy, and dressing up in costumes which we've already discussed. And we can plainly see trick-or-treating can be traced back to pagan spiritual beliefs and the follower of Jesus should have nothing to do with it. Also, since the origin of Halloween was Samhain, 
a Celtic festival of the dead, and the Catholic attempt to Christianize it with All Hallows' Eve, was also all about death. Death is basically the most prominent theme of Halloween. To pagans, ghosts are the disembodied spirits of the dead. Zombies and Frankenstein-type creatures are reanimated corpses. Vampires are soulless, half-dead humans. Skeletons and skulls are the undecaying remains of the dead. Graveyards are the physical realm of the dead. Jack-o'-lanterns were meant to scare away the spirits of the dead. The costumes were meant to trick the spirits of the dead. And October the 31st was considered the time when the spirits of the dead roamed the earth. Thus, without controversy, Halloween is about death. The symbols associated with Halloween nearly all revolve around death. And people tend to focus and celebrate dark things like death around October the 31st. But the Bible teaches death is an enemy. Paul wrote the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So why would a follower of Jesus Christ have anything to do with a day that so openly celebrates their enemy, death? Some may reply, we don't celebrate death on Halloween. We celebrate life or some other good thing. But just celebrating the same day acknowledges it and gives it more spiritual power and cultural acceptance. And we've already seen how God plainly commanded his people not to adopt the non-biblical religious traditions and practices of the pagans. Plus, scripture also commands, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, Paul says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Paul also wrote, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So the follower of Jesus is to have no fellowship with darkness. They are to come out from among the pagans, and they are to be separate. That is why the biblical word we translate as church means called out assembly. 
and the biblical word we translate as saint means a set apart and holy person. Every disciple of Jesus in the Bible is called a saint. And the letters to the churches were clearly written to saints. Therefore, we must all act accordingly. And a true saint would have nothing to do with the darkness of Halloween. Many of you may have noticed in our discussion of the numerous overt symbols of death associated with Halloween, we did not include certain key items that are also frequently connected to that dark and unholy celebration, such as black cats, broomsticks, cauldrons, and witches. And the reason we intentionally omitted those specific items is because there is a second, even darker side to the two-sided coin that is Halloween. Truly, Halloween is like a coin with two inseparable sides. The theoretically more presentable side of Halloween is the fact that it's always been a day devoted to death. But the less presentable side of that same abominable coin has to do with Halloween's quite obvious connections with the occult world. Now, I should probably define the word occult here so there's no confusion. And I'll begin by defining the noun form of the word occult, which can be easily identified by the definite article the preceding the word occult. About the occult, Merriam-Webster defines it as matters regarded as involving the action or influence of supernatural or supernormal powers or some secret knowledge of them. In this same time-tested dictionary, defines the adjective form of the word occult as not revealed or secret, not easily apprehended or understood, or hidden from view. Do you remember how we define the term pagan as a religious tradition, belief, or practice that is related to any form of unbiblical spiritualism, such as syncretism, polytheism, pantheism, or monotheism that's not centered on the one and only Yahweh revealed in Scripture, or a person who practices such unbiblical spiritualism? Well, many pagan belief systems involve occult traditions, symbols, incantations, and practices taught to humans by deceptive demonic spirits. And those traditions, symbols, incantations, and practices all have to do with secret knowledge of and contact with the spirit realm. So in many ways we could say that the term occult describes the religious thinking of most pagans, while the term pagan describes in a more general way any anti-biblical form of spiritualism. But in the case of Halloween, the occult or secret aspects of it are hidden in plain sight. Children dress up as witches with broomsticks and pointy hats, and people decorate their homes with cauldrons and familiars like the cat, spider, bat, or owl. All while real-life witches celebrate October 31st as one of their high Sabbaths, sometimes with many of those same occult symbols under its original name 
of Samhain. And just like the ancient Celts, those who call Halloween Samhain consider it to be a time when the veil between the spiritual and the physical becomes very thin, and sinful things like spells, divinations, and foretelling the future become slightly easier. Witchbox.com, a site that calls itself the Witch's Voice, confirms about Halloween and its predecessor, Samhain. It is an important holiday for us. Witches are diverse and practice a variety of traditions. Many of us use this time to practice forms of divination, such as tarot or runes. Many witches also perform rituals to honor the dead and may invite their deceased loved ones to visit for a time if they choose. This is not a seance in the usual sense of the word. Witches extend an invitation rather than summoning the dead, and we believe the world of the dead is very close to this one. So on Samhain, and again on Beltane, when the veil between the worlds is thin, we attempt to travel between those worlds, this is done through meditation, visualization, and astral projection. We can easily see why Halloween and October the 31st are still closely associated with witchcraft. Because the pagan beliefs of the Celts are still alive in the modern practice of witchcraft. But now we must ask, why is the black cat so frequently pictured alongside witches at Halloween? And what is the occult meaning of the black cat? In Wicca, the religion of witches, and in many other forms of pagan ancestor and spirit worship, there are certain creatures that are called familiars or familiar spirits. The witch, New Age practitioner, neo-pagan, shaman, or otherwise deceived spiritist foolishly invites what they believe to be spirits into their life through various occult words and rituals. And sometimes those demonic spirits come to them in the form of an animal or insect called a familiar. These familiar spirits can also be passed down from generation to generation in some cases, and they're called familiar spirits because they oftentimes pretend to be a deceased relative. And some common familiar spirit forms are the black cat, the bat, the spider, the owl, and the wolf. So this is how these animals became associated with Halloween. So Halloween is openly and indisputably associated with witchcraft, divination, soothsaying, spirit contact, familiar spirits, and more. And scripture commands when you come into the land which Yahweh your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to Yahweh, and because of these abominations, Yahweh your God drives them out from before you. And please understand, 
Our God doesn't prohibit imaginary sins. He only forbids real life sins. So don't be fooled by the common misconception that witches, sorcerers, fortune tellers, and mediums don't exist. Not only do they exist and practice much of what you think they practice, the Christian Post reported in October of this year, witches in the United States now outnumber Presbyterians. And the Lord was not prohibiting imaginary sins when he said, give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am Yahweh your God. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. So this is yet one more very clear reason the follower of Jesus should have nothing to do with Halloween. Plus, I can assure you, ex-witches who repent of their sins and turn from darkness to follow Jesus in the light all agree that Halloween is not compatible with following the Messiah. But amazingly, we still have not yet seen the darkest component of Halloween. There is something far worse than simply celebrating death committing spiritual adultery against our Savior by participating in overtly pagan practices and sharing an unholy day with witches who are really worshiping death, their ancestors, and deceiving spirits. You see, the darkest occult connection of Halloween is the fact that it's considered a high Sabbath for those who willingly and knowingly worship Satan. But some Satanists don't just worship Satan and death. They intentionally cause death, oftentimes on or around Halloween. Dr. Don Perlmutter, an adjunct professor in the forensic medicine program at Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine and an expert in ritualistic crimes, writes, Cats are frequently the victims of satanic ritualistic crimes. So much so that during the month of October, many humane societies around the country will not allow cats to be adopted because they're frequently tortured and mutilated. In a recent article in the University of Idaho's newspaper, The Argonaut, the director of the Humane Society, Lori Freeman, confirmed reports that it does not allow black cats to be adopted around Halloween. One of the reasons she gave included the Nationwide Humane Society's policy not to adopt animals during Halloween because of perceived threats of ritualistic occult animal mutilation and murder. Also, News 24 of Johannesburg, South Africa reported, Deep fear gripped Bronwyn Grammar when she unexpectedly came face to face with Harvey Isha the man who watched from behind a tree as she and her friend were soaked with petrol and set alight as part of an alleged satanic soul-selling ritual by her friends. Isha was part of a group of three boys and a young girl who were arrested and tried for the attack on Grandma, then aged 14, and her best friend, Kirsty Theologo, 18, in October of 2011. 
The group lured Grammar and Theologo to a hilltop in Linmire, armed with a knife, petrol, rope, a lighter, candles, and a Bible. In a trial that made headlines and emerged that she and Theologo were served drinks laced with brake fluid. Theologo was tied up and hit on the head with a brick. Both girls were then doused with petrol and set alight in what was to be a satanic sacrifice the attackers believed would give them power, wealth, and fame. And quite recently, just a few days before Halloween, CBS Los Angeles reported, two middle school girls who admitted to a foiled plot to attack a Florida middle school were Satanists who wanted to drink the blood of their victims, according to police. The 11 and 12-year-old suspects brought a butcher knife, a pizza cutter, and scissors to Bartlow Middle School on Tuesday to kill their classmates, according to Bartlow police. They wanted to kill at least 15 people and were waiting in the bathroom for the opportunity to find smaller kids that they could overpower to be their victims, said Bartlow Police Chief Joe Hall. Officers reportedly found the girls in a bathroom with a goblet in hand to drink their victim's blood. Messages appeared to indicate the girls planned to kill themselves after the murders took place, including one that included the phrase, thanks Satan, according to police. Both girls told police they were practicing Satanists. If you search carefully, you can find one heartbreaking story after another confirming the fact that Halloween always signals an increase in ritualistic violent crimes that involve rites, symbols, and motives associated with Satanism. Ex-witches and ex-Satanists who've turned to Jesus Christ and sometimes survivors who once experienced Satanic abuse describe in chilling detail bloodthirsty and immoral wickedness performed against children and adults in service to Satan. And they often agree that the frequency and intensity of those horrific abominations tends to peak around the time of Halloween. Meanwhile, Christians provide cover for these hellish activities by participating in the dark and evil day Satanists consider holy. But even with all that we've learned so far about the dark, disturbing, and dangerous truth about Halloween, Christians and even church leaders still try to justify participating in this wicked abomination. And one tool they often employ to excuse celebrating such things is called moral relativism. This dangerous error in thinking occurs when a person believes that they, can determine what is morally right and wrong based on their own understanding, viewpoint, or preferences. But the truth that every follower of Jesus Christ must come to grips with is God decides what is right and what is wrong, not us. So saying it doesn't mean that to me is an invalid justification for any action within a truly biblical worldview. To demonstrate my point, imagine that you worked at McDonald's with a person named Sam. And one day you saw Sam taking cash 
out of a cash register when no one was looking. Then imagine you rightly said to her, hey, you really shouldn't steal from your employer. But then imagine that Sam replied, that's not what it means to me. Whenever I take things from my employer, I'm just giving myself a raise. Besides, they owe it to me. If that hypothetical scenario were to happen, Sam would be relying on moral relativism to justify breaking the Eighth Commandment. And when she claimed that taking money that was not properly, willingly, and legally transferred to her was fine, because that's not what it means to me, she was really arguing with God. The fact of the matter is, God's law doesn't require anyone's agreement or acceptance for it to be true, binding, or authoritative. So when someone says that's not what it means to me, what they're really saying is, it doesn't matter to me what God has said it means to him. And that is an eternally deadly error. Yahweh warned against this lethal blunder in his word where it is written, you shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. And trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Also, the Bible teaches that sin is the transgression of God's law, not the transgression of our own personal moral standards. Therefore, when God says something is wrong, it's wrong, regardless of what we think. And that's why Jesus warned, he who rejects me and doesn't receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So those who say, that's not what it means to me, are adding and taking away from God's word as they practice moral relativism and rely on their own self-deceived understanding. Now, once you get a Christian or church leader to admit that moral relativism is a ridiculous position for a Bible-believing person to hold, you may have to convince them of the biblically sound principle the end does not justify the means, or in other words, we cannot commit a sin just because we believe that sin would result in a good outcome. Sadly, many Christians and even many church leaders these days think that if you can hand out tracts or share the gospel with sinners who are in the very act of sinning against their God, it justifies actively participating in just about anything. But this is a form of moral relativism combined with the logical fallacy of a faulty appeal to consequence. For example, Kirk Cameron told the Christian Post, you should have the biggest Halloween party on your block. Then he said Halloween gives you a great opportunity to show how Christians celebrate the day that death was defeated and you can give them gospel tracts and tell the story of how every ghost, goblin, witch, and demon was trounced the day Jesus rose from the grave. Joseph's brothers 
committed a terrible sin when they betrayed him, threw him into a pit, and sold him into slavery. But imagine if Joseph's brothers tried to rationalize their sin before God by pointing to how Joseph was used to save many lives during the Great Famine. Religious leaders of the first century committed a terrible sin when they betrayed Jesus and sought to murder him. And even though their plot eventually led to the Messiah's atoning death on the cross, they could never successfully defend their sin before God by pointing to the end result their sin accomplished. Could an embezzling businessman justify willingly continuing to steal by giving money to the poor? Can a Christian justify participating in a bank robbery simply so he could witness to his fellow thieves? Should Christians exchange gifts or hold feasts on the Muslim holiday of Eid al-Adha or celebrate a watered-down version of it in their homes, church buildings, or church parking lots just to reach Muslims? Should Christians try to reach Hindus by celebrating Diwali, a Hindi festival dedicated to their pagan goddess of wealth? Fact is, just as Eid al-Adha is a Muslim religious holy day and Diwali is a Hindu religious holy day, Halloween is a Celtic religious holy day, celebrated by Druids, witches, Satanists, and Catholics. But because Kirk was not raised celebrating two out of three of those idolatrous festivals, he doesn't attempt to justify Christians gleefully celebrating them. So you see, his justification is actually cultural and pragmatic, not biblical and Christian would most likely say. But Paul went to Mars Hill to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So we should participate in Halloween to reach unbelievers with the good news of Jesus. But I would have to respond. Please take a closer look at Acts chapter 17 because it specifically says Paul was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. So Luke specifically recorded Paul only entered religious areas that were filled with God-fearing, Bible-reading people, or public marketplaces with pagans. Also, respected Bible scholar Albert Barnes records that Mars Hill was not a pagan place of worship, it was the place or court in which the Areopagites, the celebrated supreme judges of Athens, assembled. Clearly, Paul would not have attended a pagan temple to preach to the idolaters there in the midst of their demonic religious services, and he would never have adopted their pagan customs of idolatry just to win them to Christ. No, Paul preached to the pagan Gentiles in public places like the marketplace where religious worship was not practiced and warned, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Please remember and understand. Satanists, witches, 
druids, neo-pagans, and every other dark occult group in modern society still openly claims Halloween as their holy day. In fact, Anton LaVey, the founder of the Church of Satan and author of the Satanic Bible, once said, I'm glad that Christian parents let their children worship the devil at least one night out of the year. So if Christians wouldn't go to a black mass to preach to Satanists, they should not participate in their high Sabbath either. Scripture says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Despite popular opinion, this passage is not just about dating and marriage. It is about avoiding all unnecessary entanglements with the unbelieving world around us. That's why Paul clearly states there should be no yoking, fellowship, communion, accord, participation, or agreement between light and darkness, and concludes by saying, come out from among them and be separate. We have proven beyond all reasonable doubt Halloween is most obviously all about darkness, and we should have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, once you've eliminated the defense of moral relativism and the defense of pragmatism, you may face the very common defense of majoritarianism. And if you haven't guessed it yet, this defense relies on the actions, beliefs, or opinions of the majority to justify some particular thinking or behavior. Also, this defense is more commonly known as the bandwagon fallacy or a logically fallacious appeal to the majority. So the Christian who attempts to justify their celebration of Halloween by appealing to the majority might say, but every Christian I know celebrates Halloween, or I know plenty of pastors who say it's fine to participate in Halloween traditions. And this thinking is confused and unbiblical, to put it mildly. Please consider, did the majority of the population of Earth survive the flood? Did the majority of the Israelites who left Egypt make it to the Promised Land? Did the majority of the kings of Israel and Judah obey the word of the Lord? Did the majority listen to Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, or the many other prophets sent by God? Well, Scripture says only eight people were saved on the ark. Only two of the Israelites over the age of 20 who left Egypt entered the Promised Land. Only a handful of the kings walked in the ways of Yahweh. A vast majority of the people rejected the words of the prophets and 
the Messiah said, few find the narrow way that leads to life. Now, those Christians who intentionally ignore all of the applicable Bible verses we've seen and all of the concrete facts we have learned about Halloween, along with all of the sound logic we've presented so far, will end up in one final position as they try to justify their celebration of Halloween. And I think we should call this final position charlatanism. Vocabulary.com explains, a charlatan is a quack, a person who's trying to deceive you with false claims. And once moral relativism and logical fallacies are eliminated from consideration, a Christian who tries to justify celebrations like Halloween must rely on false claims from that point forward. They might falsely claim the history of Halloween is somehow different from the history recorded in the many reliable and readily available resources we've quoted in this study. They might blindly deny that witches and Satanists still celebrate Halloween as a religious holy day, along with the neo-pagans and the Catholics. Or they might foolishly ignore the many applicable verses of the Bible while deceptively twisting other non-applicable ones to claim that it's possible to syncretistically redeem or somehow validate celebrating pagan holidays. For example, Focus on the Family explains on their website, as we make decisions about Halloween that reflect our family's faith and values, Dr. Cartmel points out that we should also be mindful of the freedom we have in Christ. While we don't have to make a big issue of, or even agree with, the way others may celebrate a certain day or occasion, we can decide the way that is right and fun for our family. Add the scriptural truth that all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful, all things are lawful, but not all things build up, and a family has a firm starting place for making decisions about how they will approach October the 31st. I'd like to perform a little theological experiment with everyone who's listening. I'm going to read the passage they just quoted in context, along with a second passage that uses the exact same words, and I'd like to see if you can tell what Paul was really speaking about when he said, all things are lawful for me. The first time Paul wrote those words, he said, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for the stomach, and the stomach for foods. But God will destroy both it and them. And the second time Paul explained, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. 
All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. Can anyone see the very specific context common to both of those passages? That's right. They're both about food. And Paul was saying that all foods were lawful for him. So the passage they quoted is clearly about foods, not pagan holidays. And now we have seen how charlatanism works firsthand. Solomon was judged and the kingdom was split in two because he mixed paganism into the true biblical worship of God. And similar things happened to Jeroboam, Jehoiakim, Zedekiah, and Ahab. This is because religious syncretism, which is the blending of the doctrines and practices of two or more religions, will always lead to divine judgment. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry.